0: From DAU, this is Mentoring Circles, the podcast where acquisition professionals can hear and connect with their peers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Mentoring Circles podcast. The idea of the Mentoring Circles is to explore a defense acquisition workforce career challenge or frustration. And in this episode entitled Need to Know, we're going to look at the perils and tribulations and the rewards of the security clearance process. We have a panel uh, that formed the circle. We have a practitioner who proposed the actual question in the Mentoring Circles email box. It's mentoring.circles at dau.edu. You could submit your question to, to the Mentoring Circles Uh, email box. Uh, Erica submitted her question. She's the practitioner from the field. Uh, Joining the circle is also Jeff Cooper, who's had many years uh, in the security clearance business. Uh, He's our chief security officer here at the Defense Acquisition University. And then lastly, we have our seasoned veteran of the defense acquisition workforce, a career veteran, uh, Michelle Currier, and she'll give her perspective on how uh, security clearance has helped and perhaps even hindered in some ways her career in life. So, with that, uh, let's go ahead and start off. Uh, Erica, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, and and then we'll get to the question that you proposed in the inbox. So, Erica.
1: Well, after working for various DOD agencies for about a decade, I became interested in contracting. So I took some college classes, took some VAU classes, and I uh, switched professions. So now I'm back at the start of my career and planning for the next 10 years. I've been in contracting as a contract specialist for not quite a year, but close. So, part of that, I've been watching for various job postings, thinking about what I'll be interested for uh, the, you know, the next 10 years of my career or so. And quite a few of those had security clearance requirements a secret or higher. So then I started wondering what kind of work might be involved for that kind of a job, you know, something beyond the, the obvious major weapon systems or working at the Pentagon and, and what's involved in the security clearance process.
0: Yeah, and and I think many of us um, are often wondering what the magic sauce or secret sauce is involved in the security clearance process. And so it's a wonderful question that you asked, you know, what, you know, how does it impact your career as a security clearance? And for that, let's go ahead and turn to Jeff Cooper. Uh, Jeff, can you, you know, give us a little bit about your background and history in the security clearance business, and then walk us briefly through what it takes to get a security clearance, and what are perhaps some perils or pitfalls along the way in the security clearance process, Jeff?
2: Yes, sir. So, um, I, I, uh, I'm a 22 year, you know, Marine veteran. Uh, was in the intelligence field with the TSSCI since 1994. We had security clearance databases back to EPSQ to EQUIP to DIS to, you know, JPass. You name it. So, yeah, I've been dealing with security clearances for 30, 40 plus years almost, 30 years, I guess. Um, So, yeah, with with the background investigation, basically what they're looking at, they they try, they're supposed to look at the whole person concept. If you got a DUI, you know, 10 years ago, okay, it happened. Um, If you lie about it and you don't tell them about it and they find out about it, then you just multiply the issue. Um, so, so pretty much, I mean, it's, it's just trying to, you know, make sure you're being honest on the background investigation and they're, they're not looking at a one fault and you're done. It's, Hey, it's a whole person concept and everybody makes mistakes. So by no means is it, you know, a hundred percent honest. I had a DUI back in 1994 and I, and I got a top secret SCI clearance in 1996. So. Again, it's not a one and done. It's more of a whole person concept. And can they trust you with national security information? And, and that's what the DoD CAF looks at. The DoD CAF is the adjudicating agency for all clearances, as far as for DoD. And literally, it's yeah, it, it's more of a being honest. If if there's something that you're out there hiding and whatever, they can dangle over your head. Somebody could hold against you in order to, you know, get you to sell secrets for any reason. That's what they're looking at going, OK, well, hey, you know, if, if you've taken 15 trips to China this year, uh, why are you going to China every year? You know, so the, and, and that's why it's reportable. But, you know, they're they're looking for the whole person concept, not a single issue of, hey, you're no longer eligible because of this. And and, and again, the background investigation process, I've had people ask, can can I pay for my own background investigation? No. You can't. It has to be, a, you know, the, the DOD agency or, you know, whoever it is has to sponsor that and pay for the investigation. And the DOD CAF, well, OPM does the investigation. The DOD CAF, DCSA does the adjudication. So, Jeff, if I'm out
0: in working in an office somewhere and I have a burning desire for to get, say, a TS clearance, and I don't have any clearance now, what would my first step be? With DAU? Yeah, uh, or any organization.
2: Okay, so, well, the process with DAU is a little different. We, uh, you know, in the business system for DAU employees, you'd have to go in and request it, and your supervisor has to approve it because, um, let's say, a top secret background investigation, a baseline T5, um, which for TSSEI is $5,800. So, there's a cost associated with that. You know, and the, you know, DAU pays for that as far as for our personnel. Um, so any agency is going to have to pay that fifty-eight hundred dollars. So there has to be a like a justified need for somebody to get a clearance. Um, so it's probably that probably yeah.
0: the first uh, step would be perhaps talk to your supervisor to make sure you have a justified need. Would that be right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even like, I, I'm I'm only trying to associate with, you know. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain from DAU's aspect is, yeah. There's, I've had super, I've had professors call me going, hey, I need a top secret. Well, if your supervisor says you need a top secret for your job, sure. Now there there is a OPM tool called the Position Designation Tool that should be used and. There's like four pages of questions for every single billet that is out there, and it should be used to go, oh, answer these questions. This is the required clearance for this position, secret, top secret, or unclassified. So um,
0: Erica could go look at that guide and see what her position calls for for a security clearance? Is that correct?
2: To be honest, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. She can go in there and look uh, – if, if you go to the OPM – PDT, which is position designation tool, you should be able to go in and if you can answer the questions based off your, your hiring uh, document, you know, oh, do you have to um, contract for over $1 million, whatever it is, you can go through and answer that thing. And yeah, at the, at the end of the day, you, you literally have to put in your name, your email, your phone number, um, and it'll go, oh, this position requires secret, top secret. Jeff, how long does this security clearance last? Does it expire? Clearances don't expire. Well, yeah, most people think they do. Um, There is a 10-year scope on secret. So if you do a background investigation, that is supposed to be valid currently for 10 years. Um, For top secret, it's six years. It used to be five, and then they did a one-year extension, and they've never lifted that since 2017. But just because you go beyond the 10 years or the six years doesn't mean your clearance goes away. That's when it gets into more of a, hey, I, I, I work at DAU, I have access to Classified every single day, and I go do my my CIPRANET stuff. If you go to, you know, we send you a visit and you go somewhere external DAU, they don't have to accept it because you're not within the scope. Um, you, you're not within the six years for TS or the 10 years for Secret. Most people do. But it's, again, it's an agency decision if they want to or not.
0: And um, say, for example, um, the 10 years goes by. Am I like booted out of some system somewhere? What no. happens?
2: No, your eligibility stays. You do not lose access or eligibility based off of the 10-year window. Now, if, if you're accessing classified, it's our job to do our due diligence and get your reinvestigation going. Um, OPM and DCSA – is going away from background investigations almost completely. They're going to a continuous vetting program that eventually you don't ever have to do it again. Uh, they're just going to keep monitoring you electronically, whether that's comforting or not, I don't know. But but yeah, the the, the investigations are going to start dwindling away. And what's the biggest myth
0: surrounding security clearances that you've seen in your decades work in the security clearance process?
2: More than anything, it's that my clearance expired. My clearance expired. No, it didn't expire. You know, I, I promise you it didn't expire. Um, you could have had a background investigation in 2010, and today it's May 4th of 2022, and I can grant you access to classified material. It's not illegal. Then we would just need to do the background investigation to keep you, to bring you back into scope. But it's not illegal. So, so they don't expire. That's one big myth. Um, two is just because you have eligibility doesn't mean you have access. Um, you, you could have a TS background investigation last week. It doesn't mean you all of a sudden walk into a SCIF and get access to, to TSSEI. You have to have a need to know. And a lot of people don't understand that. It's like, well, no, I'm cleared. Well, yeah, you're eligible. Well, no, but I have a clearance. Yes, you do, but you're not accessed. And until the, the, the agency that owns you, as far as the security clearance process-wise, says, no, yeah, they need access to this. You don't have access. You have eligibility. So, I mean, that's a big thing people don't understand is, you know, well, no, I have a clearance. Yes, you do. But you're not accessed to classified, so you can't just walk into a secure room and go, hey, show me everything you got, um, which which people don't understand.
0: That's, that's, that's really enlightening, Jeff. I mean, two big myths there, that there's an expiration date and that once the, the other myth is that if you have a clearance you should be granted access and, and that's that's definitely not the case. Uh, Erica, do you have any questions for Jeff about the security clearance process
1: well uh, for the form they fill out it's a long form and it has to go back quite a bit of uh, time there and a lot of the people that I would put down as contacts throughout that form, throughout my timeline there i don't actually think that they are even at the same contact or they have probably moved on i don't keep in contact with them so i guess my concern there would be that trying if they're doing an investigative process and trying to find these people they're not going to find them and i don't want them to think that i'm like lying about having known
2: them so when it comes to the uh, are you talking about reporting contacts or are you talking about uh, like previous employers like supervisors
1: Both the the form asks for a lot of context, like, you know, who did you know at these places that you've lived in the last three years and where you've worked as supervisors and you know, so forth.
2: So so the big thing, because what they will do, they will send a um, information sheet to your previous employers. And it's like a bubble sheet that's filled out. And it's like it's addressed to Dave Gallup is your supervisor. It'll go email or they will send a letter directly to Dave Gallup. And it'll say, do not if you're not Dave Gallup, do not fill out this form. Um, nobody else can fill it out in place of Dave Gallup because that's who it's addressed to. And and so when it comes to supervisors, it it, it it's a bubble form and they they want to know, you know, hey, were you fired? Were you let go? Did you have a problem with employees? You know, and and so there's the employment part of that is you know, your supervisor where you work. Now when it comes to I think there's they asked for three points of contact. People have known you. You can literally you, you don't have to go back and go, oh, I knew Becky in 2012, and she lived there, but now I don't know Becky anymore. The, the people who know you, they want to know who knows you now, and you you can put anybody besides relatives that and, and go, hey, Becky knows me. Here's Becky's phone number. It should be somebody you, you come into contact with on a regular occurrence, and so that if they call them, they're going, okay, hey, Becky, what's going on with this person? And Becky can go, oh, yes or no. Um, a lot of times, honestly, what they do is they'll go to Becky and they'll say, hey, Becky, who didn't like this person? Let me contact them. And they'll try to, because you're not going to give anybody as a reference that is not going to look favorably on you. Correct? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so what they do is they try to go and they're like, okay, hey, Becky, who didn't like her? Who didn't like him? Uh, oh, it was Jeff Cooper didn't like him. Oh, you got Jeff Cooper's number, yeah, boom, and they will try to call because they're just trying to do their due diligence to make sure that you know you're you're not doing nefarious things and and you know anti governmental things you know and whatever else. So you know, that's where the po- the points of contact come in.
0: So Jeff, just to summarize this bit, um, it's important to have a- accurate supervisors, right? Because they'll go back and they'll check with the supervisor. And for contacts, they're really interested in people that know you now. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So let's kind of pivot in the circle a little bit. And um, I want to introduce Michelle here or have her introduce herself. Michelle uh, is a veteran of uh, the defense acquisition workforce. And and Michelle, tell us a little bit about your career. And we're really interested in how – the security clearance or lack of security clearance impacted your career in life. So Michelle.
3: Great, thank you, Dave. And thank you, Erica, for the wonderful question. Um, It is a very relevant question, particularly in um, the profession that you and I are in, contracting. I spent 44 years as a practitioner and recently retired, and now I'm the chief learning officer At the National Contract Management Association, and we think about these things um, that you asked about, Erica. So I'm going to give you some advantages of having a clearance and some of the um, unintended consequences that people need to think about. So in any profession, Dave, as you know, we want to find differentiators that set us apart and provide us upward mobility. So there are career broadening assignments. There are certification exams that you can take. And one of the other ones is having a security clearance. It gives you an advantage. And so the advantages that come along with the security clearance is that you have access to a variety of government jobs, as well as federal contractor positions that you would not have access to if you did not have a security clearance. The other great thing about having a clearance is that any agency that you wish to apply for a job knows that you've been well vetted as uh, Jeff has just described, the process of obtaining a security clearance It's not easy, it's not fast. and it's clearly not cheap for any organization um, to have a security clearance uh, performed for one of their potential employees. Think about it. you know this makes the idea of giving you access to sensitive data and systems less, I would say, daunting for an organization knowing that you've already been vetted. So having a clearance in hand is a very attractive um, situation for the employee, for any potential employer that, you know, kind of indicates that you're dedicated, you're trustworthy. It kind of puts you in a different light than those that don't already have a clearance. It gives a great first impression when competition is fierce. And Erica, as you know, in your career, um, you might start as a five, seven, nine, eleven, twelve. And after the twelve level, competition is fierce. So we're always looking for that differentiator that sets us apart than someone else. So let's talk about some other advantages. You get a bump up in salary, it puts you in a, a, a special group of folks that have a clearance and there are certain positions that you cannot have access to without having a clearance. And in today's hiring market, any advantage that you have in competing for higher level positions is always in your favor. So what are some of the disadvantages? Dave and I were talking about this. For me in my career, I had compartmental clearances. I worked in a skiff. And for those of you that don't know about working in a skiff, you take nothing in, you take nothing out. If you are a person that loves to, um, you're personable and you love to talk about your work and you want to have a lot of friends in, in your workspace, I found it limiting. You know, um, I, late nights in the skiff because I couldn't take work home. And here's a new challenge, Erica, in our new um, landscape called telework, right? Everybody wants to telework because there are so many advantages. I don't think that we're going to have the opportunity to telework when it comes to having high-level security clearances that the work must be performed in a SCIF. So that's something to think about. So if you want a remote position, you'd like to move, you know, closer to family or you want to move to Italy, you know, um, and and it may limit your opportunity to keep the job you have with those high-level security clearances. Now, it's a challenge, but it doesn't mean that it's not surmountable. I've been reading literature that says that people kind of um, – job share if you will some folks will go into the office some will stay home and then they switch out so the organization you work for and the folks you work with it's a negotiation um, to determine if you can continue to support the work the classified work having your security clearance so Those are the advantages. Those are the challenges, right? It puts you on a class all of your own. You are uh, coveted by industry. If you have a clearance industry, when they're responding to uh, uh, with their proposal, they want to propose folks that can hit the ground running. If you have a clearance, you can hit the ground running um and same for the government you know they're looking for people that the day they hire you you can start working and jeff i'm not sure what the lead time now is for clearances but i remember there was a time maybe 5 or 6 years ago that it was almost a year or longer to be able to get a security clearance. So I'm glad to hear that they are improving that lead time and the continual vetting so that folks can stay available to support the security mission that the Department of Defense has. So, Dave, I hope that kind of gives some of the advantages of having um, a clearance and some of the challenges of having a clearance that you were looking for.
0: Yeah, Michelle, yeah, that's Michelle. That, that, that's great. Um, I do want to ask a question, and then I'll turn it to Erica to see if she has career advice questions relative to security clearance. Jeff had mentioned that the first step is to talk to your supervisor. If you um, are after a security clearance in your career, was there that supervisor or champion that helped you get that security clearance, that opened the door to you? And if so, what was the big takeaway from from that relationship?
3: That's a wonderful question. So so they kind of found me. And here's how. If you are a customer service contracting officer, that means that you are there for your program. The program's going to be there for you. So, the program actually sought me out and asked me if I would consider getting uh, high-level security clearances to support the program. I was a trusted partner, a business advisor to the program, and, you know, I was delighted to be able to continue to support in that manner. And so, I worked closely with the technical team um, in, in the process of getting the security clearance. And it really was kind of humbling to be asked to support really a, a very extraordinary mission that for the Department of Defense, particularly supporting the Navy. So I think when you make yourself a differentiator in the field, that you're the can-do, yes and kind of contracting officer that the programs will find you and will want to include you on the team.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Erica, do you have any career questions for Michelle relative to security clearances?
3: Uh, No, I appreciate all the
1: great information and taking my question.
0: That's fantastic. So folks, let me try and just recap real quick. So security clearance wise, right? As Jeff had mentioned, You know, you have to work with the supervisor and your job description should be the starting point for the security clearance process. Once the process starts, the key thing is to be honest in your responses and uh, try and make sure your uh, work history supervisors are identified. That's going to be critical. And then your contacts are people that know you now. Uh, Two of the big myths is that your security clearance expires. That's not the case. And the other myth is that the security clearance provides you unfettered access to that level of information. And that, too, is also a myth. From a career perspective, it's important to know that there are pros and cons to having a security clearance. And Michelle did a great job of laying those out. Uh, That, you know, with the security clearance comes great responsibility, but it can be uh, an advantage in career advancement. So with that, I think we're wrapped up on uh, this Mentoring Circles episode, the Need to Know episode. You can uh, receive one CLP for uh, listening to this episode. All you have to do is email uh circles at dau.edu. Let me know that you've listened to this episode, and you have to provide uh, an idea for another episode, and I'll send you a certificate that you've joined and, uh, and listened to uh, this episode of Mentoring Circles. So, with that, I want to thank uh, our members of the circle today. Erica, thank you very much for joining us and having that great question. And again, all the important work that you're doing for the workforce and the warfighter. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much for uh, your great uh, background and knowledge in the security clearance process. And Michelle, thank you for sharing your career advice with, with regards to security clearances and and Thank you very much to the listeners. Uh, This is the first episode and hopefully a series of podcasts that look into those career frustrations that you might have in the defense acquisition workforce. So let's just say goodbye for now. Thank you, everybody.
3: Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.